Welcome to the Bova News Podcast. I'm Kim Bremmer, and I'll be your host today. This is the first podcast we've produced from original content. We have other podcasts available focused on Bova News webinars, but this is the first one we've produced without using our webinars as a source. Our goal is to provide you with some of the same leading edge information available in our webinars, but in a different and shorter format. This Bova News podcast will focus on a topic that no one across agriculture ever wants to have happen to them, and that's managing a crisis. A crisis can be the result of two things, a natural crisis or something generated from an activist group. Today, we're going to talk about what activists are up to and how you can avoid becoming a victim. And we have one of the best expert guests to help us with this topic, Hannah Thompson-Weeman. Hannah leads the development and implementation of communication strategy for the Animal Ag Alliance as the Vice President of Strategic Engagement. Her role includes coordinating industry-wide responses to emerging issues, engaging with key influencers, advising members on handling crisis situations, and representing the Alliance on state, regional, national, and international platforms through speaking engagements. Hannah also leads the Alliance's media engagement efforts, connecting regularly with both trade and mainstream media outlets. Hannah holds a bachelor's degree in agricultural communication and a master's in agricultural and extension education from The Ohio State University. Prior to joining the Alliance in 2014, Hannah worked in marketing and public relations for Farm Credit Mid-America. She lives in Maryland with her husband and their two pets, a dog and a cat. Welcome, Hannah. Thanks so much for having me. And as you were introducing the subject, it is very true that this is not something that farmers ever want to have to face, but that's why the Alliance is here to help you. We have your back. We monitor these issues. We have resources for you. So I'm really glad to be here and able to help support farmers through these challenges that unfortunately are a part of doing business in animal agriculture in this day and age. So Hannah, let's start out today. What are activists up to? Can you give us kind of a broad overview of where we sit? The Animal Ag Alliance has been monitoring animal rights activism for more than three decades now. It's been a core part of our work since we were founded back in 1987. So we have quite a bit of history in monitoring activist tactics, what they've done before, and then what comes next. I have to say, really, the past year has been one of the most intense and aggressive in terms of animal rights activism. And that might be surprising to some people. Uh, I get a lot of questions of, well, it's a pandemic pandemic, people aren't traveling, people aren't gathering, hasn't that stopped activists or at least slowed them down? But unfortunately, that has not been the case. They have been more aggressive than ever. And we have just gotten so many reports of suspicious activity and incidents happening to different types of farms, different size of farms, and different locations all across the country. A few of those current trends that we're seeing, um, one is a focus on online activism. So obviously, there have been restrictions on travel and gatherings. So so we're all doing things virtually still and have been over the past year and so have activist groups. A lot of major activist conferences have been held virtually and we've also seen an uptick in social media activism. So the Facebook pages or Instagram or whatever platform pages of farmers and ag organizations, particularly dairy farmers, have seen really aggressive attacks, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So harassing messages, comments, negative reviews, Use, whatever those might be, we saw a big uptick in that type of attack. Uh, and a lot of those are coordinated. So that never happens by chance. There are actually private Facebook groups where activists will identify farm pages that they're all going to go and badger in a coordinated manner. So, you know, none of that happens in a vacuum. None of that is a one-off. It is coordinated. 
We've also seen on the online activism realm, activists trying to dig up information using online sources. You might have heard about a website launched about a year ago now, almost a year ago, called Project Counterglow. And on that map, activists have actually mapped the location of thousands of farms and plants across the country using publicly available data. So Google Images, uh, subsidy databases, anything public they can find to identify the location of a farm and facility and get as much information as they they can by looking at social media, media coverage, public databases, again, to amass a quote unquote investigation in their words of those farms and facilities and talk about them via a forum feature. So a lot of those online efforts are happening, but we're still seeing in-person activism as well. Over the past year, a few trends, home protests. So actually protesting at the private homes of company and organization leaders as part of these pressure campaigns, uh, going onto farms and installing hidden cameras and recording devices. So we all know about the undercover video campaigns where they get hired, that's still happening. But now we've had several instances of activists either sneaking in or misrepresenting who they are, pretending to be employees or vendors that need to get in and see equipment and using that to get access and leaving behind these devices. In addition to still seeing protests targeting our restaurant retail companies talking about sustainability and really, you know, we could go on and on and on, unfortunately, about the number of tactics that are being used. So when I listen to you talk about all of this and uh, we struggle a lot um, trying to keep farmers engaged or, or helping, helping farmers along the way, I mean, listening to you, how do farmers not become intimidated by what activists are doing? I get that question so frequently because when I do speaking engagements, I usually spend the first half an hour going over all the things I just talked about and quite frankly, scaring people sometimes. Uh, and then I usually end with giving security resources, but also making that call to action that we cannot allow activism to stop us from engaging and talking about what we do. That is exactly what they want. So if we allow uh, these concerns about them coming onto our properties or targeting us to stop us from putting a face on dairy and answering consumer questions, we're going to be letting them win. They want to own the space. That is why they do most of these things. They know that they're not really effective. You know, I think that's some of the, the silver lining or the reassuring news. Despite what you might be hearing about how everyone is going vegan and plant-based this is so trendy, the number of self-reported vegetarians and vegans in the U.S. is stable at around 4 to 6%. And that number has been the same for decades. And that coincides with activist groups' own research. So what they are doing is not working. It is not changing the minds of our consumers. Uh, but they want to, again, take us out of the conversation and make us feel afraid to talk about what we do in hopes that that will allow their messages to go unchecked. So there's ways we can protect ourselves from activism and we absolutely need to, but the message should not be uh, you know, to, to close ranks and not put ourselves out there because quite frankly, if you exist and you are using animals in any way, you are going to be a target whether you're talking about what you're doing or not. So it just, again, unfortunately comes with the territory. It's something we have to prepare for. There's steps we can do to protect ourselves, but we we can't let these concerns stop us from engaging. They, they actually should make us even more passionate to engage, in my opinion. Excellent point. So the talk is louder than the truth is what you're telling us. 
there's definitely a lot of overblown claims, especially during the pandemic. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of activists claiming that sales of plant-based products were through the roof, uh, but sales of all retail products were through the roof, including meat and animal protein. So uh, one of my favorite researchers that follows consumer trends likes to say, you know, growth on a pinprick or doubling the size of a pinprick is still a pinprick. So, you know, it's a lot easier to talk about this astronomical growth in the plant-based category because it is so small. So actual um, growth, if you look at units of sales, it might be larger uh, in the meat category, but it's going to be smaller as a percentage because it's already so larger to begin with. So we're hearing so much about this, claims of victories from those groups, but a lot of that is just overblown. The basic fact is the vast majority of people out there enjoy eating meat, dairy, poultry, and eggs, and we just need to make sure we're giving them the information they need to keep making those purchasing decisions and feel confident in doing so. Where does all the funding come from for these activist groups? That's one thing that's important for people to understand is that animal rights activism is an extremely strategic, well-coordinated, and well-funded effort. This is not, you know, grassroots, passionate individuals taking these actions. There is a lot of strategy and coordination and money that goes into it. Uh, the Alliance has profiles on more than 175 different organizations that are targeting animal agriculture in one way or another. And we have a great graphic on our website that shows how just the top, you know, most influential 30 or so of those organizations are connected by funding, project collaboration, and staff flowing back and forth. So these are groups, uh, some of which are very upfront about what they want, saying we need to end animal agriculture, our goal is animal liberation. Others attempt to position themselves as more professional or moderate or claiming to be focused on animal welfare. Uh, but if you look at the connections, they are all connected and working together behind the scenes. It's an intentional strategy to take different approaches to move in the same direction. Uh, and I say all that to make the point that just those top 30 or so organizations we have on that activist web, they're bringing in more than $550 million annually in funding. And that's both from consumer targeted campaigns. We've all seen the commercials with the dog and cat and the Sarah McLaughlin song in the background, um, that that money doesn't actually go to supporting homeless dogs and cats, despite uh, the claims that are made in a lot of those campaigns. So there's consumer funding that comes in. You see a lot of GoFundMe campaigns from activist groups. But what we're really concerned about is over the past few years, a rise in private foundations that are contributing huge amounts of money to these groups. So for example, there's a foundation called the Open Philanthropy Project that was started by one of the founders of Facebook. So obviously they have a lot of money to throw around and they have adopted farm animal welfare as one of their action areas and hired past Humane Society of the United States staff to oversee that grant area. And they are giving tens of millions of dollars to activist groups, either in just general operating funds or for specific campaigns. Uh, so there's a lot of money, a lot of cash going into these groups. Groups. Uh, so again, this is not a grassroots bunch of passionate individuals trying to express their thoughts. It's a very carefully coordinated, connected, and well-funded movement. So Hannah, how do we compete with that amount of money? I mean, if you're saying there's $550 million in the top 30 groups, what can we do? What's agriculture doing? Agriculture needs to make sure that we are working together and we are collaborating uh, so that we can speak with one voice. The inherent advantage that we have is that farm 
farmers are very highly trusted. People have positive affinity uh, towards farmers, even if they have questions about farming and farming practices. So we have the uphill advantage here in that, you know, what we're saying is true, it is honest, it is factional, factual, and people view farmers as trusted resources. It's especially a good time right now because coming out of the pandemic, people have more of an appreciation for the food system. Uh, there's a Gallup poll each year that looks at what people, how people view certain industries. And in 2020, uh, farming was actually the top most positively viewed industry. It incre increased by 11% over the year prior. So people have an affinity for, they have inherent trust. So, you know, that's what helps us. But we do need to make sure that we're working together. Uh, the same way activist groups are coming together and coordinating, we need to be doing the same uh, and really investing in ways to put farmers front and center, answer consumer questions, and make sure that we're correcting the narrative with all of the claims that are being made. Yeah, that's a great point about correcting the narrative, because I think when people hear something repeated over and over and over again, it becomes the truth, even though they can't explain why. It's just a message or, or something that they've heard enough times. Uh, so what can, what can farmers do? I mean, really, at the ground level, the grassroots level, what can farmers do in this arena of messaging? There's definitely that concept that once something is out there and once people hear it so many times, they just take it as fact. I think we see that a lot right now in the conversation around sustainability, especially of meat, beef, and dairy. Uh, you know, there's just been so many claims that the best thing we need to do if we want to save the environment and protect the planet is reduce our consumption or eliminate our consumption of animal proteins. Despite the fact that that is, you know, not supported in the U.S., uh, emissions from livestock are less than four percent of our greenhouse gas emissions. And those industries are committed to continuously improving, uh, but that tends to get lost, especially because there are companies and organizations out there who are pushing that message. Uh, but we see that just mentioned in media stories, like it's a given that animal agriculture is detrimental to the planet. So that's the type of thing that we need to be correcting and pushing back on. And the Alliance uh, does that a lot as an organization. Groups like uh, DMI do that a lot on behalf of the dairy industry. But we do need farmers and ranchers to be part of that conversation because of that trust factor that I mentioned. Uh, you know, you all are doing this every day. You're on the ground. So your voice is worth 10 of mine uh, as an organization representative stepping up and saying these things. You know, we need individual stories from farmers to put a face on this industry. And also because we just need more voices. Animal agriculture is already a small percentage of the population out there. So we need everyone to be engaged, sharing this content, telling this story in your local community. Uh, ways that you can do that, obviously social media is one way. So if you wanna get active, sharing pictures from your farm, telling stories about what you do, that's not for everyone. So you know you could certainly amplify the voices of other farmers who are active in that area. You can also just establish yourself as a trusted resource in your community. So talking to media, local civic organizations, local legislators, you just need to make sure that they know you and they know who you are. So if there is an issue or question, they can come to you. 
In reputation management, we have this concept of the trust bank. And that's every time you have a positive interaction with someone, you're building up the balance in your trust bank account. You're making a deposit. Uh, so that way, if there's ever an issue or a crisis and you need them to trust you that you're doing the right thing, you have something you can draw against. You have that positive goodwill built up. If you have done nothing and nobody knows who you are and what your commitments are, or even worse, if you have a bad reputation, you're going to be starting from zero and moving down into the negatives when you try to draw against that goodwill. So we've got to be out there in our communities, positioning ourselves as the authority when these questions come up before the crisis hits so that we can try to change the direction of how things are going to go after the issue arises. What are some things that farmers can do to keep from becoming the victims of any of the activist attacks? Our number one piece of advice before you do anything else is make sure you are beyond reproach. So make sure that there is absolutely nothing that could be going on on your farm that you wouldn't want live streamed to Facebook or on the front page of the New York Times. Now, there are, of course, practices that might require some context, some additional explanation, but you can be confident in it if it is being done in a appropriate manner, it's scientifically sound, veterinary supported, those type of practices. Those are conversations that we can have but we can't have any allowance for anything being done that's not up to par. So following your industry guidelines, things like the farm program for animal welfare, uh, making sure you're being a good neighbor, a good steward of the land and resources. So making sure you are doing the right thing and you're capturing that and you're talking about it is one of the most important things you can do. Now you can be doing all the right things and still be targeted. So we do need to think about farm security. So a few basic practices, it's about making yourself a harder target. So making it more difficult for people to get onto your property with the false intentions. Uh, so no trespassing signage, fencing, uh, as practical fencing and gates, wherever you might be able to implement those motion sensor lighting cameras, lock your doors, keypad locks, all of those things, uh, just again, ways to make it more difficult to get access to your farm or facility. We also really recommend proactive conversations with law enforcement. So that would be one of my top action items for you after listening to this podcast is to set up a meeting with whoever, whatever law enforcement agency covers your property and just let them know, hey, I heard all of these crazy things that are happening to farmers across the country, massive protests. I hope that never happens here, but I want you to be aware if it ever does. And I want your advice for how I can protect myself. A lot of these incidents have gone one direction or the other based on law enforcement. And these happen in rural areas. So your local sheriff's department might have no idea how to deal with one of these protests. And that's what activists are banking on uh, to make it a bigger issue and make it go on for hours and hours. So talk to them. Again, I hope you never need to use this, but just having that connection, getting their advice and knowing who to call if you do have a problem uh, is incredibly valuable. And not just for activism. You know, if you had a fire or somebody injured on your farm and you needed first responders to come out, having them have some awareness of where you're at, the layout, those types of things uh, can have a lot of value, whatever you might deal with. We also need you to report these suspicious incidents. So if you have someone trying to visit your farm and giving you a false story, or if you do a job interview and the person seems really sketchy, make sure you're telling others about that so that we can keep track of those trends and warn others in your area. So your state dairy association, your co-op directly to the alliance, let us know when those suspicious incidents occur so that we can better keep an eye on them and notify the rest of the industry. 
Absolutely. Always trust your gut. So the first thing that you think a farmer should do, let's say something happens or there's a video that gets released from your farm, where's your first call to? Is it to your local authority? It depends a little bit on the situation. If it is something that's actively going on, you know, someone is trespassing, someone is uh, setting up a protest at the end of your lane, your first call needs to be local law enforcement. Um, even if they are being peaceful thus far, these groups have a demonstrated track record of upping the ante uh, and kind of using protests maybe as a distraction for a group to go in and trespass. So if there is an actively unfolding situation uh, that someone is coming onto your property or imminently might do so, so law enforcement needs to be your first call. If it's more of a reputational concern, so you hear that a video might be coming, but there's not someone who's actively on your property doing something, I would recommend your first call being to your state association. So your state dairy association, they have a lot of resources for these. They can link you up with the national groups, connect you with us. And then your second call needs to be your co-op. Uh, actually, you know, probably those in either order, but both of those need to be called your co-op, uh, you know, wherever your milk ends up going to, and then your state dairy association. Those need to be your first calls when you have an inkling of a reputational issue uh, that could be coming for your farm and the industry as a whole. So Hannah, can you give us examples of some wins that the egg industry has had? Because uh, too often, I think we get caught up in the weeds and we think that, man, this is, this is a lot to think about. And now we have to deal with this, you know, how did we get here? And are we actually, are we, are we making steps in the right direction? Are we winning? I think some of what I mentioned earlier is extremely reassuring that this group that we're talking about, activists, the negativity about animal agriculture, it seems very loud, but it is a small, small percentage of the population out there that we're talking about. The vast majority of people uh, might have a few questions, might want more information, but overall they support what we do. They're not opposed to animal agriculture in the way that activists are, uh, who unfortunately are very loud and successful about getting their messages out there. So the fact that, you know, for all of these decades of activism and all of their campaigns, they have not been able to shift the tide uh, in people's eating habits is, is really, I think, something we can look to to say, you know, we do have uh, the story here, the consumer's want to support us. We have the great opportunity here. Uh, the fact that people are viewing farmers as very trustworthy and positive. That Gallup poll that I mentioned, I think is something we can take to heart. There was also a recent study by the American Farm Bureau Federation about sustainability practices uh, that the results were that consumers trusted farmers when it comes to sustainability. So again, we have all the opportunity in the world right now, uh, looking at sales trends in some of our industries, looking at what people bought during the pandemic and what what they stocked up on. Uh, obviously, we've had a lot of challenges over the past year. We've had to shift up some of our production methods, the supply chain faced challenges. So it's certainly been a difficult time. Uh, and I know dairy has obviously had challenges in recent years, but I think we can look to uh, the fact that consumers do support our industry as a victory, uh, as well as efforts that we're making to get the story out there about sustainability, animal care, and all those topics. And we just need everyone's voice and involvement to continue doing that. And how can we all be better agriculture advocates? What resources are out there to help? 
the Alliance actually has a relatively new program called Animal Ag Allies, where we want to do just that. We want to specifically help farmers, ranchers, and practicing veterinarians. Uh, it's also open to industry professionals, but those three audiences are our primary target to be more confident in having these conversations, either on social media or in their community. So we're looking for folks who have already started going down this path. Maybe you have a Facebook page and it's starting to grow, but you need more support uh, and you want more resources from industry and more support in your efforts, I highly recommend you check out Animal Ag Allies. It consists of a self-paced um, set of five modules about hot issues in agriculture, how to have contentious conversations, how to grow your social following, how to talk to media. And once you work through those five self-paced modules, you get to join a private networking group and interact with other Animal Ag Allies from across the country. And in that group, you can ask, hey, I want to post about this topic, but I need some advice, or I'm writing this letter to the editor? Can somebody review it? And just get support from other allies and then as well as the Alliance staff and other experts in the industry. Uh, so this is cross species. That's a great part about it. It's not just dairy. You learn about all the different species of animal agriculture all the way to aquaculture. And then you get to network with others in those industries too. There are other great industry programs. Uh, so a lot of state or regional dairy checkoffs have training programs that you should certainly check out. But I do highly encourage you to look at animal ag allies enrollment is open for our next class. We really take enrollment throughout the year and then get classes started roughly quarterly. So our website is animalagalliance.org and you can pretty easily find the allies tab. I also recommend farmers look at attending our virtual summit this year coming up in May. Uh, we do have an annual conference where we talk about a lot of the issues, the Alliance monitors, how do we talk to consumers, what's going on in activism, what are the trends that I think will be of interest, but usually it's in person and would require travel to either Kansas City or DC. But we were virtual in 2020 and are going to be virtual again in 2021. So it's a really great opportunity to get to attend at a very affordable rate and not have the travel requirement. So again, that's our virtual summit. The theme is obstacles to opportunities. So a lot of what we've been talking about today, what challenges have we faced? How can we turn them into opportunities for the future to secure a brighter future for animal agriculture? So you can visit that on our website as well, animalagalliance.org. And we're always sharing about it on social media using hashtag AAA21. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hannah. We appreciate it. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. Be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.